0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org welcome Sienna and Cyprus and downtown and digital family as well and all that are here today. If you got a Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy. Chapter 1 is where we're going to be. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's totally cool. We got one right in front of you there and it's on page 1051 is where 1 Timothy is and you can grab that and you can follow along. We started last week going through 1 Timothy. I love teaching books of the Bible because you get a lot of stuff in there and you're not just cherry picking different verses. So we're going to go through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus this school year, and so we can learn these things. They're called pastoral epistles, and what that means is it's telling Timothy and Titus as well how to put the church together, because we live in an upside-down world, so we need a right-side-up church so that we can understand what's going on and the things that we're moving through in today's society. So that's where we're looking at this. Timothy is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Maybe you've heard of the book of Ephesians. That was to the church of Ephesus as well. This is about 63 AD. And Paul is trying to tell Timothy about false teaching. He's saying, now, we don't want to get false teaching in the church. we got to make sure we stay true. we got to stay authentic. Because what happens is you end up with true and false and they slowly become blurred where you got a kind of true and a kind of false. A used to be true, a used to be false. Well, today now we do this and tomorrow we used to do that. And there's a true and a false that happens where God has declared something and it goes past any culture, any time period, any thought process. It's something we got to say, this is true and it's out of the word of God and it's something that God has for us. So Paul with Timothy is saying, look, I want to knock down any of the things that are false. Now, to illustrate this, I want us to get started with just a short little video clip in just a moment. It's of a basketball coach that's coaching youth basketball. So it's the little tykes, and they're cruising along, and I think you're gonna get a big chuckle out of this because one of the guys is gonna shoot on the wrong goal, and I want you to see how the coach responds. Just as Paul is saying, we don't wanna go to the wrong goal, we wanna stay on the right goal. So let's watch this together. Shoot! Isn't that great? He comes off the bench and the go, 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 turns into no, 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 until finally he just slaps the whole thing down. So if you've coached any youth sports, you probably felt like that at some point along the way. But to be able to think that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's saying, look, the the believers in the church of Ephesus have turned and they're beginning to go the wrong way. There's a temple in Ephesus called the Temple of Diana or Artemis, same goddess. It's just a Roman name or a, a Greek name. And he's saying, no, that's not the way we're going. We've got the wrong goal. We're shooting on the wrong goal. So Timothy, we need to get these things squared away so that we can be the church that moves forward to make a difference in people's lives and let God do his work through us. So with that thought in mind, I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 or chapter 1, verse 5, and grab your listening guide and we're going to play a little true false as we go along here. Verse 5. Here we go. Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law. All they do they don't understand what they're saying or what they're insisting upon. So let's take a pause right there. Here is the goal. He says, now the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a sincere faith, a good conscience. So let me ask you a true false question. The first question is this, and then I'll point at you and we'll either say true or false on the count of three. Here's the phrase, the goal of following Jesus is knowledge. True or false? One, two, three. False. There you go. That's right. Here is the goal. The goal of following Jesus is love. True or false? True. True. The goal of following Jesus is love. That's what's found right there in verse five, and it's saying the goal of our instruction is love. It's love from a a pure heart from a good conscience and a sincere faith." I love those three things, a, a pure heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. I mean, where is that, those phrases ever used in any other place besides church and Christianity? I mean, it's just not gonna be, you're not gonna find that phrase a lot of places. I, I want it to be with a pure heart. I want it to be with a good conscience. And that conscience is a little different than what we think about. We think about conscience being an individual decision. I did something I shouldn't do, and my conscience kind of got me. It's an individual thing. But in their society, they saw conscience as being something that would be a blessing to the group. So the conscience was not just for the individual, it was for the group. And where we've ended up, this is a true false moment, it's false actually, and what it is, is that we've ended up in such an individualistic society in our United States, that I'm gonna do what I wanna do, and I don't care how it affects anything else. So if my conscience says it's fine, then it's fine. And it doesn't matter how it affects anybody else or any other society. Well, this in in Ephesus was different. It was like, no, what I think I'm a part of a larger group. And so with a pure heart, a good conscience, I care about my team and a sincere faith. Those three things, building blocks into the goal of my instruction is love. Love, this agape love, this desire to love people well. Think about what Jesus said in the Gospels. What's the greatest command he's asked? And he says to love God and to love others like yourself. So it comes back to the greatest commandment is to love. And that's what we see here with Paul. And we've got to let people see that love of Christ in real life, letting them see it lived out in our lives. That makes a huge difference when we make an impact in life. Kelly and I, just uh, this past week, we were at a a certain thing and we got to talking to this other couple in line and I could tell uh, that they weren't uh, from America originally just by their accent and such. And so I said, well, well, where are you from? And they mentioned a country in Asia. And I said, really? I've been there. Not a lot of people have been to this country. So I said, I've been there. And they said, you have? They were shocked. And I said, yes. I said, hello, in their language. And then Kelly and I began talking to them and uh, they said, "Well, well, why did you go? why did you go to our country? And we said, well, we went with our church and we went to be able to make a difference, to be able to help teach and to do different things like that. We went with our church and then they responded and they said, well, we have some relatives that are Christians in our home country and they read the Bible all the time. And we said, great. And then Kelly asked, are you Christians? And they said, no, we're not. And just Kind of pause, it was super refreshing to hear somebody just clearly state that. Because, right, you know, you ask people when you say, Are you a Christian? They're like, well, I don't really like God and I don't really like Jesus and I hate church. But yeah, I'm a Christian. <laughs> I don't know if that all works together like that, you know? And so they just, no, we're not Christians. And so we said, Well, we are Christians. And they said this, this was really interesting. The lady responded, She said, We knew you were Christians because you're so nice. And I said, well, you know, that's really, you don't realize that, but you just actually quoted a Bible verse and in the Gospel of John, it says, they will know you are Christians by your love. And so that's something that's in the Bible. And as, as you said that, that's a connection with the Bible. And then Kelly said, well, if you have any questions about Christianity, if you'd ever like to ask us, we'd, we'd love nothing more than to tell you about our faith. And the lady said to this to her, she said, well, as we've been in America, we've realized, we know that the people that are really nice, they're always Christians. The people that are really nice are always Christians. Now, what does she mean by really nice? Now, hopefully everybody's nice, but there's a sincerity of really nice. You know what I'm talking about? Like, we've all been nice. We're social, we're nice. We know how to do that. But when you really care about somebody, and that really nice then shows the love of Jesus Christ. Here's how it works. Hey, how you doing? And you're just waiting for them to say they're fine so you can tell them all about your life. That's a different place of that. And it could be fine at different times. But what we need is not what we're just trying to wait on them to finish their story so we can tell our story. Now, I want you to know I'm chief of centers on this. I'm a talker. I'm sure that surprises you. But I'm just waiting for them to quit talking so I can start talking. Well, that's not a good way of loving people. What I need to be doing is I need to be listening to what they're saying so that I can identify possibly a way I can help in their life and I can care for them. And that's where Paul says, the goal of the instruction is not for you to tell your stories, Greg. The goal of your instruction is so that you can love and love it a way that, that this person that's not a Christian, the only way they can get it out is the Christians are always the really nice ones. And that can shine with Jesus Christ. So the goal is that we would love. Now, I'm going to tell you a lot of things. I hope you learn a lot of things. I told you already about the goddess of Diana, the goddess of Artemis, uh, Ephesus in 63 AD. We're going to learn a lot of stuff. But the goal is not knowledge. The goal is love. It's to live it out. Paul says in another book, he says, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. So here he begins. He says, I want you to get the right goal. So how do we know when we miss the goal? How do we know if we're running to the wrong goal? Let me give you two things. We miss the goal, number one, when we swerve from love. We miss the goal when we swerve from love. Look back, if you will, in your scriptures there. Verse five, now the goal of our instruction is love. We got the goal that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. Some would say really nice. Verse six, some have departed. That Greek word means swerved, departed. They've swerved from these things and turned aside to fruitless discussions. Not completely off the road, they just swerve in lanes. They want to be teachers of the law, although they do not understand what they're saying or what they're insisting on. So he says, I don't want you to swerve. I don't want you to get out of line, Timothy. If you swerve, you're gonna be in the wrong place and it's not only your good conscience for you, it could hinder somebody else. Just the other day, I was coming to the Luke campus, was driving down the feeder on I-10. Somebody was going to get on the on-ramp and they decided they did not want to get on the on-ramp. They wanted to stay on the feeder. So what did they do? They went to the on-ramp, they swerved back and I was in the middle lane right next to them and they almost hit me. Brakes squealed, tires squealed. I looked over to my left and that shot of adrenaline, you know, you felt that before? And you're like, whoa. And it was all because of a swerve. And that shot of adrenaline, you felt it. You know how that is. That's Houston driving every day, isn't it? Just a shot of adrenaline. I mean, who needs to bungee jump? Just drive on the loop, okay? That's all you got to do. Just take I-45. You don't need to go dive with sharks. You get your adrenaline other ways. Just drive around Houston. But that swerve was a screeching of brakes. It put me at at, at adrenaline rush too. I thought I was going to get hit. Thankfully, everything went fine. He said, I don't want you, Timothy, to swerve. I don't want them to swerve because here's the deal. They're all talk and no walk. They're all talk and no walk. He says, they've departed, they've swerved, and they've turned aside to fruitless discussions. They want to be teachers of the law. They don't even understand what they're saying or what they're insisting on. So he says, now here's the deal. When we begin to be all talk, no walk, when we begin to swerve from truth, That's when we know that our love is going to begin to diminish. Our light is going to begin to be extinguished. Things are going to get less and less and less and less. And sure, we'll be nice, but we'll be nice because we're supposed to be, not nice because we're in love with Jesus. We'll love because that helps us along the way, not because we love because we really love Jesus. So we have to stop talking and we have to start loving people with the love of God. C.S. Lewis received a quote from a friend of his. He he wrote him a, a note, and here's what he said. The best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument of Christianity is also Christians. You hear it? He said, man, when when we're in the right lane and we're loving people well and we're knocking down false teaching, when we're doing that, man, God has got something and there's going to be something, even if you're just interacting with a couple uh, while you're in line, as you're going through, there's going to be something that's going to be sensed. You're going to be an ambassador of Christ. You're going to have the aroma of Christ. There's going to be love in your life that comes forward. So in your business, in your home, in in your involvements as, as students and whatever it is, let that love come out and don't swerve no matter who's telling you to swerve. You stay on that path. And as you stay on that path of loving Jesus, then he's going to show his love through you as well. And if not, it's just meaningless talk. It's meaning; It doesn't do the job. It doesn't get the work done. Remember when I was a little kid in in grade school, we would have time, we could color pictures and stuff like that. It was always fun. You know, you look forward to that um, as as a little kid. And so they would have all the crayons out and we would each get a few different crayons and then we'd color for free time. And I would always be bummed out when I'd get the white crayon because it was a white piece of paper. So the white crayon on the white paper does not work. The only time the white crayon works is when it's a black piece of paper and you're drawing a snowstorm at night. Okay, that's the only time it works. And so you get the white crayon and it doesn't work. And when we have talk without the walk, we are a white crayon. We're making no impact. We're doing a lot of stuff, saying a lot of things. Oh, I go to church. I do this. It doesn't matter. It doesn't show up. We want to be neon on the white piece of paper, right? We want to be a bold color, a warm color that says, come and see the love of Jesus Christ. So let me give you your second true false statement out of... uh, Uh, three that we're gonna go over today. So let me ask you this, true, false, here it is. Social media is the filter to determine what right and wrong are. One, two, three. Okay, now I wanna say it again, and I I want our students to say it even louder, okay? One, two, three, false, there you go. Social media is the filter to determine right and wrong. It is not, it is a fake is what it is, right? Nobody's life is as good as it looks. And to be able to say, that's not the determinant of right and wrong. Now, let me ask you true, false. Sound doctrine is the filter for determining right from wrong. One, two, three. True. That's right. Sound doctrine. I know that's a big churchy word. Don't let me lose you. It's meaning this. Here's how it can be defined. Here's what it would mean in the Greek. Healthy teaching. Healthy teaching. Healthy teaching at home from your mom and your dad, healthy teaching at, at school from, from uh, counselors and teachers and, and folks and coaches that are a part of your life, healthy teaching in church, yes, healthy teaching from the Bible, the Word of God, healthy teaching from where we're learning and what we're doing. Healthy teaching is the determinant. That's what sound doctrine is. And that's what's going to help us to stay on the path of right and wrong. Now, here's what he's going to do, In verse 8 is where we're going to start. Verse 10, we're going to end. Actually, I'll read all the way to 11. that I'll continue, uh, complete our passage for the day. Here's what it's going to say. He's going to give us a list of sins, okay? And at the end, he's going to say, now, if you'll embrace the gospel of God and you'll embrace sound teaching in embracing that, it's going to keep you on the path of righteousness, and that path of righteousness is going to allow you to shine forth so you can be the dad you want to be, the coach you want to be, the friend you want to be. You're going to shine with Jesus and all of those things. And love is going to come through you in the power of God. Now, let me direct you to your listening guide for just a second. If everybody will take this, even if you're not a note taker, um, you, you, that's not fine, but it's okay today. I'll let you go. Uh, but in your listening guide, uh, right there by that center hole punch, there's a list of sins that Paul makes, okay? He does this a lot. I did not realize this until I started studying this week on this passage of Scripture. He lists out in the New Testament several times he gives list of sins. Now, is he just on a Facebook rant? Is he just mad? Is he just at the complaint department, just letting everybody have it? What's the deal? Here's what I want you to do. I want you for homework. Now, this is not gonna be a fun homework, okay? But I want you for homework. I want you to take this, and I want you to look up each of these passages and read these lists of sins, Okay? Now you're gonna afterwards you're gonna wanna take a bath. It's it's sin, it's not good. But I want you to be able to read this to understand. Paul is speaking towards these things over and over and over again. So the list we're gonna read in just a moment, you're gonna wanna kind of shake some things off of it, I promise. That list is is a list that Paul's got numerous lists all throughout the scripture. So this week, take that listening guide, take your Bible, open it up and read through each one of those and see what Paul is doing. Here's what he's gonna say. Let's look at our first list here though, what we're concentrating on in verse eight. Here we go. But we know that the law is good and provided that one uses it legitimately. We know that the laws are not meant for for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious. Let's stop there for a second. We covered a lot of this in Romans. The law is for the people that aren't obeying the law, right? They have to realize this law is saying this is wrong. Give you an example. If you're driving 70 in a 70, you're not worried about police. You go over the hill and you're driving 80 in a 70 and you see the police, What happens? Panic, because the law was for you, not for those that are driving 70. Now, if I was the Lord, I would give grace for 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, okay? That's just my personal philosophy of being able to have that. So he's saying the law is for the lawbreakers. Now he's gonna talk about these sins and he's saying these so that we realize our sin and we turn to the love of God and the Savior, Jesus Christ, to forgive us of our sins. Okay, you ready? Here we go. We're about to get into the list of sins. Look at verse eight, or verse nine. We know that the law was not meant for a righteous person. Here he's gonna give us some pairs, but for the lawless and rebellious. Okay, that's not good. For the ungodly and sinful, all right? For the unholy and irreverent. Not good either. Three pairs, none of them are good so far. For those who killed their fathers and mothers. uh Uh-oh. For murderers for the sexually immoral, for males who have sex with males, for slave traders, for liars, for perjurers. And if you don't think you're in the list, here we come. For whatever else is contrary to sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which was entrusted to me. Paul's listing these sins and he's saying anything else that's contrary against sound doctrine. So sound teaching, sound doctrine is going to lead us in this way. And anything else that's contrary to that, we got to knock that away, Timothy. That's shooting on the wrong goal. That's not going to help the individual. That's not going to help the society. Now, when you think of these things, you're like, murder your father and mother? What? Slave traders? What? Perjurers, liars, all these different things. Here's what happens is we go through these lists of sins in the Bible and here's what we can do. One of three things we often do. Write these down if you want to take some notes along the way. Number one, we can rationalize. We can say, well, my sin wasn't in that list. It didn't mention greed, so I guess that's cool. No, we rationalize it. He says, whatever. I just want to give a little catch on, Whatever is contrary to sound doctrine. Number two, we can reject it. We can say, you know what? Those sins are worse than mine. I know I got sin, but I'm not murdering my mom and my dad. I mean, my, what, what in the world's going on with that? So we can reject it and say, well, that, that's for other people because my sins, they're kind of pet sins. I keep them. I keep them in a the nice little box. They never turn into, uh, you know, an alligator. They're always just a little lizard I can play with uh, along the way. But I don't want to uh, let this go crazy. Or number three, we remove sins from the list. Now, in that list that just gave what sins have we removed from the list of being sins in our society? Well, very easily, we remove sexual immorality. It's basically now down to consent. If two people consent, there is nothing immoral. We've removed homosexuality from it as well. And we've said, we're going to take those and we're going to put these over here in cultural change area. And then we're going to stick with slave traders, perjurers, liars, murder your mother and father, murder your... you're, you're, you know, be a murderer, all that sort of stuff. Well, the list has got all these things in there. Let me ask you a question. I've said this to you before. If society obeyed God just in one thing, just in one thing, if they obeyed God just in, in the place of sex, what difference would that make in our society? If we just, that's the only one. We just obeyed God with sex. So husband, A wife got married and then they have sex. That would negate rape. That would negate adultery. That would negate a lot of disease. That would negate a lot of issues of feeling low self esteem. That would negate molestation of children. That would negate sex trafficking. That would tremendously lower abortion. It would help kids to prosper. Just that one thing, if that, just that one sound doctrine, but our society has removed that and placed that over on the side. And says, as long as consent is there, then everything's great. Well, it still affects your heart and your soul and affects society as a whole. And secondly, homosexuality. I, I put here in your listening guide, I did an entire message. There's a QR code right there in the middle, an entire message out of the book of Romans, Romans chapter one, about homosexuality. And I want you to know if you struggle with that or you have a family member that struggles with that, I want you to hear that first verse we started with. The goal of our instruction is love. We love you. We care for you. But at the same time, God says that's not his biblical best for you. And so I took in that uh, message that I did about a year ago. I talked about my own family with one of my favorite uncles. It was a homosexual and how we interacted and all of those things. And so click on that, get the QR code and listen to that. We want you to know you are loved, you're welcome. We want to show you God's best design and show you love because we truly do care. So he gives this list, and I just don't want to be included in the list at all. Remember, when I was a teenager, and I was sassing my mom. I was giving her kind of some gruff and back talking to her. And then I found one of these lists of Paul and had right there in the middle of all these heinous sins disobedient to parents. And I was like, I just don't want to be in the list. My young Christian heart, I just don't want to be in the list. If this is the list and I'm next to this and that on the other side, something's got to be wrong with this. And so at that point, of course, wasn't perfect at all, but let me honor my parents. Let me care for them in that way. See, sound doctrine, healthy teaching enables us to see clearly so that we can live rightly. See it? So he says, I want you to know the way you determine true and false is by sound doctrine. That's the end of verse 10. It says anything else contrary to sound teaching, sound doctrine, healthy teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of our blessed God. Here's the deal. Bad theology is like a bullet. It goes in small and it comes out big. that's no big deal. Just wait 50 years and it'll be a huge deal. Goes in small, comes out big. That's how the enemy works. And so in this sound doctrine, he says, I want you to filter everything you're seeing, Timothy, in Ephesus. I want you to filter everything that's happening. When you look at the temple of Diana and Artemis, you don't have to worry if that's right because you know the one true God. You know Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So filter everything through that, and I want you to understand that. Great illustration for you uh, that I I found out about. Um, It's called a life straw, okay? Life straw. I didn't know much about this, but this is something you can use if you're going camping or you're going to a remote place and you can stick this straw down into just a river and suck right out of it and it will purify everything that goes through it. It'll purify the water. So let me give you a little stats on this. It will take out 99999999 percent of the bacteria. That's pretty good. It'll take out 99.999 of the parasites. I'd like a few more nines, okay, uh, on that one. I don't know about you. I don't want a parasite. It'll take out 99.999 of the plastics, the microplastics, the dirt, the sand, and the cloudiness, and it lasts up to 1,000 gallons. So this may be a stocking stuffer for your camper uh, in your family, right? Don't forget by the time Christmas comes around. But you put this thing in the water and you can drink right out and it filters right out. Let me tell you what, sound teaching, the Bible, the Word of God, it filters what we're drinking from this world. And let me tell you what, it's not 99.99999, it's 100%. It's not just for 1,000 gallons, it's for all your life. And so we've got to be able to look. Students, you've got to be able to look and say, okay, this is what the world's saying about sexuality. This is what they're singing about, what they're saying about. Let me look at it and say, what does God say about that? What does the Lord say about that in the way I interact with my parents? What's taking place in that? So it's a great question for us to continually ask. What does God think about that? Does the Bible say anything about that? What does Christian history say about that? What does Christian wise counsel say about that? And instead, we get, instead of just drinking out the dirty water, we say, I'm going to take this and I'm going to put this as my filter. And now I'm going to get, watch, the living water of Jesus Christ that gives true life, that really satisfies and quenches our spiritual thirst. So is social media the right filter? No, it's not. Is sound teaching? Yes, it is. So put yourself under a lot of teaching. And allow that to be something that you learn. Because when you get into this word and you fall in love with Jesus, it will make a huge, huge difference in your life. Last true-false question. Here we go. True-false. We'll just jump to the, to the place here. The gospel is the center of Christianity in our hearts. I hope you know that's true. On the count of three, one, two, three. True. The gospel is the center of Christianity and our hearts. Let's see it in verse 11. Sound teachings, the end of verse 10. That conforms to what? The gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which was entrusted to me. See, we're all on the list somewhere. We're all on one of the lists somewhere. We're in, the, in anything else that contradicts. And for that reason, Paul ends this little section of Scripture with saying the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Christ. You know what the gospel is? The gospel is the good news. That Jesus Christ was sent by God the Father to die on the cross for you and to die on the cross for me so that we could place our faith and trust in Jesus to forgive our sins, to wash us clean because he rose again from the grave. So it's not in just becoming a Christian. It's not in just being saved Yes, that's where it begins, no question about it. It's also, though, for the furtherance of our Christian life that we look back and we say, wow, that's amazing. Jesus did that in my life. What an incredible thing that God did. So I ask you this, the wonder of the gospel, have you received the good news, just as those that were baptized early in the service, that you trusted Christ as your Savior, allowed Christ to be your Lord, forgive you of your sins, And really on the heels of that, if you have, have you been baptized? That's just one more step. But to be able to say the gospel, the good news of the glorious, blessed God, who loves you. 1 Corinthians 9 gives us a list of sins from Paul, but at the end he says, and that's what some of you were past tense. And sexual immorality and homosexuality is actually included. And that's, that's what you used to be. That's what you were. But Jesus Christ saved your soul and washed you clean. And then Paul says, lastly, this is what we've been entrusted with. The gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which was entrusted to me. God has given us the gospel and entrusted it to us. We've got it. We're going to hold it precious. When you watch somebody's child or you watch somebody's dog or you guard their car entrusted with something, you watch it carefully, how much more so even with the gospel of God. And we had a great time together as staff this past week, and um, it's been wonderful, wonderful joining together. I want to close with this with you. We do this at the kickoff of every school year. We have First Baptist Academy staff that comes in this very room at the Loop We have our Cypress campus staff, our Siena campus staff, our downtown campus staff, our faith centers where we give away food and clothing. I told you last week we've given away over 3 million pounds of food just this year alone, which is incredible. Our deaf church, did you know that we had a deaf church Houston's First Baptist Deaf Church that we're ministering to that community. And so we, we bring all of them together. We spend a morning together of worship. I speak a bit. Uh, we have lunch together. We have some teaching time, some breakout. We're just training our staff. And we had a panel of three church members, amazing church members that God's using them in different ways. And one of them was a, a church member of ours that used to be a pastor. And so I asked him, he's still in ministry, but I asked him, I said, can you tell us as a staff how do we keep our spiritual vitality as a church staff? So I don't know if you know this, but sometimes it can be hard when you're dealing with Christian stuff all the time, you become a banker with $100 bills or a jeweler with diamonds. You're handling the precious all the time. I'm, I'm in this all the time. but I want to I realize this is precious still. It's not just a, a book, right? I tell our staff this all the time: Don't let your ministry ruin your Christianity. You seen that happen before? You let your ministry ruin your Christianity. Because when I get to eternity, nobody's going to call me Pastor Greg. I'm just worshipper Greg. So I, I, want, to, I want to go in in a blaze, loving the Lord. So I asked this pastor friend, former pastor friend, and still a ministry friend. I said, "What would you tell us?" And he told the story of this evangelist that had been doing, traveling around the country for 70 years. and at the end of his ministry, they asked him this. They said, "How did you stay fresh?" after 70 years of loving people and traveling the world as an evangelist. His name was Gypsy Smith. He was a gypsy actually and became a Christian and they just called him Gypsy Smith. 70 years. Here's what he said. He thought about it. Picture an old man pondering it. And he said, I never lost the wonder of it all. I never lost the wonder of it all. And I just ask you, have you lost the wonder of it all? because knowledge has gotten so big that love has gotten so small. Have you lost the wonder of it all that you've begun to fight with God about your sin instead of realizing he has your best in mind? Have you lost the wonder of it all that you've been entrusted with the gospel of Christ and you get to make a difference in your friends and your family and your workplaces? Church, let's don't lose the wonder of it all. Let's swat down the false teaching and trust the wonder of the gospel to the blessed god to the glory of Christ that we've been entrusted with and from that we will love people well because we love Jesus well that's where it begins father we come in jesus name and we thank you lord thank you for paul swatting down arguments thank you lord for timothy and lord thank you jesus that we had the opportunity to be a part of making a difference as well. You've given us a life straw of your word. You've given us a life straw of healthy teaching here, but in other places as well, life Bible study and places outside our church. So Father, may we have that used as a filter. What does God say about that? What does the church say about that? What does Christian council say about that? Father, if there's anybody that has never trusted in Jesus as their Savior. They're nice, good. They've never repented of their sins and placed their faith and trust in Jesus alone to save their soul. That's you, maybe in this very moment even that you would just pray and say, Jesus, I've sinned. I ask you to be my Savior. Forgive me. There's no argument with me. I need you. Save me. That's the gospel, my friend. That's the good news. It's not go to church 10 times and do all these things. Father, for those of us that maybe we've lost the wonder of it all, we've swerved. We're still on the highway, but we're in the wrong lane. Just direct us back, Lord. May we be in wonder again. Block any of our shots, Lord. We want to shoot on your goal. Do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations at the Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at Houston'sFirst.org.